0: Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff, here with Jim Callis. We are coming to you from Phoenix, Arizona, where this year's draft combine will take place. We're uh, coming to you without Jonathan Mayo this week. He is not here with us, but uh, Jim, we are here, or going to be here, with over 300 top draft prospects, including, I believe... Our count was 169 of the 200 of our top 200 draft prospects uh, had accepted the invitation to the Draft Combine. So we're going to be nearly all Combine uh, for this episode of the podcast. Uh, You had a chance to interview uh, one of the stars of last year's Draft Combine, Jacob Mizorowski, which I know was a pleasure for you. Uh, We're also going to talk about some players to watch at this year's Draft Combine, and we're gonna talk a little College World Series, and wrap up by answering a question from the mailbag. So, Jim, you you got here a little before I did. You've already been over to to the ballpark, and yep. uh, this is your third yep. combine now, and they've in third different location. Uh, and Rumor then, is we'll be back here next year. I was wondering about that.
1: That's what I've been told.
0: I don't think not official, but apparently, I don't know if this is
1: gonna become permanent or not, but it sounds like we're back here next year.
0: They, they the combine has changed quite a bit in in each year, right? I mean yeah, especially I, from I guess maybe especially from one to two, but
1: yeah, like I don't know that there's that much different this year. like they've kind of figured things out. like the first year, they had to figure it out as they went along. and initially, I think there's a little bit of a if we build it, they will come attitude without necessarily thinking through some of the things because the initial plan was if you came to the, if you were invited to the combine, and you came, you had to do everything. You were working out on the field. You were playing in the high school games. They were doing six games first year. You were doing medical testing and Hey, sorry, if you fail your physical or something shows up, that's just tough on you. And so <laughs> shockingly, a lot of players weren't interested in coming to that iteration of the combine. So they pivoted the first year to what they called an à la carte experience, which has persisted to now you can choose what you wish to participate in. I, I think the big, the two biggest things from year one to year two were year one everything was kind of spread out. They didn't just because it was held in Cary, North Carolina, which is where USA Baseball trains. Great baseball facility, which was great for the workouts and the um, and the high school games, but. The interviews were back at the hotel and the medical testing was at a third site. And I think the athletic testing maybe it was where the medical testing was, but it was at a convention center. Like nothing, it wasn't all central. Last year in San Diego, the two biggest changes were one, almost everything was at Petco Park. All the interviews, they put teams, each team had a suite at Petco Park. And they, you know, so players could go to the park to do the workouts, go to the park to do the interviews. I think about the only thing they did um, at the hotel. I think in the they, I think they did the medical testing at the hotel but they tried to have every everything as much as they could in one place. So that was one thing. And then two and this I think really helps spur attendance and we've seen it again this year is for years MLB's hoped to get some kind of medical combine so that you could get physicals on players and you could avoid what we've seen happen with Brady Aiken and Kumar Rocker and other less famous players where you draft the guy and you agree on a bonus, and then you do a physical, and you're like, oh my gosh, we don't like what we see, and now we try to renegotiate or not sign the player or whatever. And they came, the MLB and the union came to an agreement last year that if you took a physical at the combine, then you're guaranteed 75% of your assigned pick value based on your draft slot. And so, lo and behold, they now gave the players an incentive because it's actually a very good rule. Because if you you know, – let's say you come – you do your physical to combine and something shows up that scares half the teams but doesn't scare the other half, then you're probably going to get drafted by one of the teams that's not scared. Like you, you, you're you getting drafted by a team that's willing to accept whatever they saw as opposed to, hey, we didn't know about this and now we, we have to figure out what we're doing. So, you know, I think last year Bill Francis LB told me 75 or 80% of players did physicals. Um, and I think they're going to have majority of guys who came here this year will do physical. Some guys are coming pretty much to do – a lot of top players come to do physicals and interviews and don't work out on the field. Um, but, yeah, it, it's kind of grown. And they've uh, – last year we did a six-and-a-half-hour broadcast on one of the days, and I think they decided that was a tad <laughs> much. <laughs> so we're doing two three-hour broadcasts on MLB Network uh, this year. But um, I, I do think as they continue you – know, I mean, they're – it's come a long way I think from year one to year three and you now I think are getting a lot of people buying into it, you know, certainly more than they had, you know, when it started. And I think it's going to
0: continue to grow. I mean, there are, you know, as you're talking about, there are a lot of different elements. There's the on field stuff. There's the medical stuff. There are the interviews. And it seems like they all kind of benefit different parties. I think as far as like a, uh, public event you know an event that the public wants to see and that fans want to watch they obviously want to see the on-field performance that's the most exciting part for the, the you know viewing public so talk about that a little bit what does that entail yeah so
1: you know and again not everybody does everything but you know for position players you get the opportunity if you want take batting practice they take infield and outfield I think they clock guys making throws from the outfield, I guess from the infield too. Um, base running component, I want to say they have guys go first to third. Um, I still think back to the first combine where the base running component was kind of like Harold Reynolds jogging around from first to third with some players. Like, I don't know if they were actually recording times. So he's chatting with them as they jogged around the bases. Um, uh, you know, pitchers throw a five minute bullpen session and then. This won't be televised. We televised some of it last year. They'll do athletic testing with like strength and conditioning and sprint speeds and shuttles and, and that type of stuff on uh, on Thursday this year. But um yeah, you, you mentioned the interviews, Jason, and that's one thing that even though there's a little bit of a speed dating aspect to it, you know, it's not necessarily, you know, you get to spend two hours with a kid, but it's like twenty or twenty-five minute interviews. Um you know, there'll be, you know, five to 10 officials from a team getting to meet the player, vice versa. And everybody I've talked to, you know, going back to year one, in fact, in year one, everybody thought that was the best part of it was the interviews. Um, and I, every player I've ever talked to has enjoyed the interview process and getting to know teams. Every team I've talked to, I, I don't know if some that's related to the pandemic. There was no face-to-face meeting with, with people in 2020. And I think it was very limited in 2021. Um, I, in fact, I, th- I want to say, I think at the combine was the first face-to-face meetings teams had with players in quite a while at that 2021 combine. And I, I don't, I mean, you're not drafting a guy because he interviewed well, but I do know the Pirates have said that, you know, their interviews with, Her- with uh, Henry Davis, who wound up being the number one pick in 2021, helped kind of guide that process. You know, they felt even more comfortable taking him. And other teams, you know, like, like Henry Davis, I think is a very direct, very competitive guy, and he impressed teams in that setting.
0: So is every player here doing these type of interviews, or do you know how that works? Or are the clubs determining well, well, which players they want to talk to?
1: Yeah, yeah. So here's what happens is I don't know if every player is doing it. And, and and I don't think the player. I think the players can specify. Because, like, let's say – Um, you know, Max Clark is here and he's probably going to go in the top five picks. And I can't imagine a scenario where Max Clark goes beyond the seventh pick. There's really no point in Max Clark talking to the Cubs who are picking 13th. So I don't think they're necessarily going to waste his time. You know, I don't know, like if the Cubs request Max Clark, if they, you know, you're not going to make the player talk to a team he doesn't think he needs to talk to. But I think most players do, not necessarily all of them. I do think the higher ranked guys will limit like when Termar Johnson was in here last year, I think he talked to a select group of teams, but it's the same thing. There's no point in him talking to 15 teams, but there are some guys who will talk to, I think probably more than half the teams. I do know, um, I think sometimes if, if the player hasn't been requested by a lot of teams, teams will be like, Hey, you're interviewing this guy. So he, you know, feels like there's some teams interested in him. There's some that going on too, but yeah, there's, a lot of interviews, I think, that go on pretty much every day that people are out here. There, there's interviews going on for the most part.
0: So uh, this year's group mentioned 169 of the players on our top 200 prospects list. Uh, now, not every one of them is expected to actually be here. Um, and several of the highest ranked players uh, are currently participating in the College World series. Uh, so we're not likely to see them. And, you know, even if guys were to get eliminated early, uh, as has been the case with a couple teams now, is there any expectation that that we would still see them here? Or I know there's there's a supplemental uh, combine that they can attend.
1: Yeah, and which I didn't even realize existed. Like, it, it's, it's like a – what it is essentially is it's medical testing. The supplemental combine, it's not like they're going to have – Um, like Stanford got eliminated today. So it's not like, hey, Tommy Troy, we're going to bring all 30 teams to you so you can interview with them and then you're going to work out for them type of thing. But now the supplemental combine is those players could still avail themselves of the medical testing if they want to, you know, take advantage of that guarantee. And I think they'll set up interviews via Zoom um, with them. I I do think there's a possibility, like those guys weren't going to work out. Like Stanford just got eliminated today. Um, and I guess Virginia got eliminated yesterday. Like, I don't think – like, I guess if he wanted to. I, I don't know that Tommy – Tommy Troy's going high enough for the draft that I don't think Tommy Troy was going to necessarily take BP anyway. I'm sure if Tommy Troy wanted to get on a plane and come to Phoenix, they'd work him into a BP group and let him do that type of stuff. And, you know, maybe those guys will come out and just knock off the physicals out here. You, you know, I, I think they had that option if they wanted.
0: All right. We are going to talk about uh, some of the players that we're looking forward to seeing out here this year. Um, But before we do that, we want to turn back the clock to last year. um, And we're going to talk to Brewers prospect Jacob Mizorowski, who, uh, Jim, I know you you like to take a little credit for the fact that he he, uh, kind of blew up like he did at last year's Combine.
1: Well, I, he deserves the credit. I just suggested <laughs> – well, yes, I, I strongly does. suggested MLB Network that they should get – like, because not every – they can't show every player doing everything on the field on TV. There's not enough time. So, the, you know, they I, I want to say they had like six or eight pitchers who were going to pitch um, on camera. And so I did – I've been fascinated by him since high school. First found out about him in 2020. And I was just like, you have to have this guy pitch – on TV. He's going to throw hundred miles an hour. He's going to have great spin rates. He's going to have, you know, great metrics. You have to have him. And, and he did, and, you know, he, he threw eight fastballs, the eight fastest pitches anybody threw last year at the combine. He averaged 99.8 miles an hour, topped out at like 107. The spin rates were off the charts. He threw two of the three hardest sliders. So he, he made me look good, but like, I, like, again, he'd been doing that all spring and really come on late um and then it's getting like the combine's perfect for a guy like him and, and he did take advantage of it and he wound up going in the second round and he signed for 2.35 million dollars with the brewers and I, I mean people knew about him i mean the brewers it wasn't like the brewers had never heard of Jacob Mizorowski. and and like oh my god what a great full-time <laughs> workout here's 2.35 million dollars but i do think the way he performed there may be some teams that weren't on him as much as other teams were and it sparked interest and so it kind of created more competition and demand for Jacob Mizorowski. So I think he's probably one of the biggest winners from the first two years of the combine.
0: All right. Well, we are going to hear from Jacob Mizorowski as Jim had a chance to talk to him. Uh, That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline podcast.
1: Jim Callis here, MLB Pipeline with Jacob Mizorowski of the Brewers. Jacob, thanks for uh, joining us today. And one of the reasons we want to have you on is we're we're previewing the the MLB Draft Combine, third annual Combine, which starts Tuesday, or I guess actually players are arriving Monday. They'll be going on the whole week in Chase Field in Phoenix. You were at the Combine last year in San Diego. Uh, First question, did you know much about the Combine? I mean, going into 2022, did you know much about the Combine? Was it a goal to get invited, or or what did you even really know about it?
2: I didn't know much about it. I knew it was a good opportunity. I knew scouts were going to be there. I knew it was, like, one of those things that you kind of wanted to be at, but I didn't know much about it. So it was kind of one of those things that I got invited and saw San Diego, and I was like, why not? Let's let's go do it. Let's go have a little fun and show them what I got.
1: Yeah, how much – How much draft interest, I mean, I know it's always weird from the player perspective because you don't always know what teams are thinking, but how much draft interest were you sensing from scouts before the Combine? And then how much did it pick up after the Combine for you?
2: There was quite a bit before the Combine. I mean, I had a pretty good junior college season. So, But, I mean, like after the Combine, though, it picked up pretty rapidly. I mean, you had the interviews with all of the upstairs people of, Different programs and stuff like that at the combine. So that helped as well. So, I mean, no, I picked up a lot. I mean, I don't know. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, again, I mean, obviously on the mound, you know, you were, it's like you get a five minute bullpen session. So it's not that big of a showcase opportunity, but you were pretty spectacular. I mean, you, you threw, I, I, I was looking back at my notes, you threw eight fastballs, which were the eight hardest pitches anybody threw. <laughs> you averaged, I think, 99.8 miles an hour, you touched 100.7, you had the best fastball spin rates, two or three hardest sliders, some of the best slider spin rates, which it's fun. I mean, I I followed you closely since high school. So like, it wasn't that out of character. And I'll even, I'll take a slight amount of credit, because I told MLB Network, I was like, you have to have this guy pitch on TV. Like, if you want guys to light up spin rates and velocity, you have to get Jacob Mizorowski on TV, because he's going to throw great. So you didn't really necessarily do anything that was out of character. I mean, you did that at Crowder too, but when you're going through that five minute bullpen workout, are you aware of how hard you're throwing? Were you, were you peeking over your shoulder at the scoreboard at Petco park or were you just, just doing what came naturally?
2: I mean, I was doing what came naturally. I mean, I was just going up there to throw, but I mean, the one thing that helped was the guy standing behind me going, Oh my gosh. And all that, (laughs) I just, I kept throwing and I was like, I must be doing something right. So I just kept, I don't know. The kind of adrenaline got to me, and I just kept going and throwing harder. Felt like.
1: <laughs> did that get so? When you were interviewing with teams, did that come up? I mean, when did you when did you find out how hard you were? Th- I mean, again, you it's not like you were throwing ninety five at Crowder. I mean, you threw hard at Crowder too, but like, when did you yeah, find yeah. out? Like, hey, I averaged almost one hundred miles an hour, and you know, I was breaking you know off the charts metrics.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was it was pretty much right after. I mean. You had all the guys that you were there with from different colleges and stuff they were all like oh my gosh and like <laughs> hounding me about it and saying congrats and stuff like that so no i knew pretty much right then that i did something pretty cool and i mean i kind of expected it for myself Not, i mean just well, no, saying, i mean you and, threw yeah. like that a crowder yeah i
1: mean that's i mean i think that's exactly. fair well again you you had great stuff at crowder it wasn't like you were throwing 95 and you know then threw to the gun and threw five miles an hour harder how many you know, you, you mentioned the interview process and for a lot of guys, I almost think the interview process is the most important thing. Just like I know, team like talking to players and talking to teams, Um, like, I guess, again, I mean, like you said, you had been scouted before. And I don't know how many places you had thrown at that maybe had TrackMan data. You know, I don't know if Crowder has a setup like that or not.
2: Do they? They were getting one. We were okay. getting one, I think we got, I think we ended up getting one like right at the end of the year. So I used okay. that just a little bit. Yeah. So so
1: for some of the smaller college guys like yourself, throwing at the combine, you know, gives teams data that they might not have had otherwise. You know, if you came from Vanderbilt, they already have all kinds of data. So it's, it's there. But, but but even aside from that, with the interviews, talking to people who've been there both on the club side and player side the first two years, everybody speaks about how much they enjoy the interview process. It's a, get to, a way to meet face to face with several people from a team. Um, what was that like? How many teams did you meet with in San Diego?
2: I I couldn't even count how many I met, met with. It was, I almost want to say almost all of them, but no, it was, it was pretty crazy. It definitely, I didn't do anything like that. Like there's, they weren't zoom calls. They were, you were there in the room with five other guys and it was just you and them talking. So it was kind of intimidating, but at the same time it was kind of fun meeting new people and, meeting i don't know different teams and seeing what happens yeah and it's
1: kind of like i always kind of liken it to speed dating because what is it like 20 25 minutes you get with the team and it was a cool setup last year at san diego the first year it was a carry and i don't know if you've ever been to north carolina where the usa baseball facility it's a great facility but everything was a different place you had the games and the on-field stuff at the facility and interviews at one hotel and i think the medical stuff at this convention it was all over the place and last year most of it i guess the medical stuff was back at the hotel but all everything was at petco park and they just had a team so cool in every suite so you go interview with a team and then you just walk over to another suite and interview with another team what was what was the strangest thing you got asked in, in an interview oh, one of those
2: oh gosh i mean i got asked like the most random questions i mean one of the crazier ones was someone asked me how many tennis balls can fit in the. In an airplane and i was just like i was like how does that apply to baseball i was like but no nothing i mean that's probably the craziest one but nothing nothing crazy
1: it was got gotcha, you got gotcha. you i guess they're trying to more of a think, funny how quick yeah. you think on
2: your feet type of thing exactly yeah More just trying to be funny and make me think so no nothing too crazy
1: did you have any sense after the combine that the brewers might draft you did, did you have any expectation where you might go in the draft after the combine
2: I mean, I had an idea that the Brewers were like in talks, but I didn't think. I don't know. I I didn't know. I yeah. to be honest, I, I knew nothing. So I mean, I had a few teams that I I thought maybe that I was talking to a lot, like, but no, no one in particular.
1: And then, so on draft day, second, yeah, you go in the second round to the Brewers. Were you expecting to go that early? I mean, you knew it was like I'd heard as early as. Like I heard a lot of talk with the Dodgers, who didn't pick Mm -hmm. until forty was their first pick. I'd heard the Dodgers a little bit, um, but you never really know. I mean, the flip side of it is, I think the Brewers, for several years, have taken like the top JUCO pitcher. Like like they took, they took Ashby, who's obviously been the big leagues. They took Antoine Kelly. They took Logan Henderson. I think you might have been, like, the fourth time in five years they took the first Juco pitcher. So it wasn't that much of a – how much of a – did you know they were taking you when they did? Or was that when you heard your name called? Were you like, oh, wow, like
2: – No, I mean, my, my agent was – giving me a heads up of, like, hey, it might happen. Make sure you're watching more of a thing. and But no. I mean, there was there was talks with the Brewers, or the Brewers Dodgers. Like, I thought there was a chance maybe the 40th pick, but I didn't know. There was no yeah. idea, so it was just one of those things that he gave me a heads up, and it was like, "Hey, make sure you're watching." But <laughs> Eric, not 100%. Eric knows what's going
1: on. Eric's Eric, Eric, oh yeah, he things. does. Eric he Johnson, does. your your agent. So I, I want to go back now to the start of your career because you know, like I was, I've been fascinated by. I first heard about you in 2020. With, you know, obviously, very strange year. You, no high school games for you because of the pandemic. Yeah. But I had a couple scouts who are like, I, I'm always fascinated by like the projectable high school pitchers. And you know when we're doing our rankings at MLB Pipeline, just like we did when I was at Baseball America. We're not ranking them based on the the order guys are going to get drafted in. It's, it's basically we're ranking them in terms of long term talent, and whether guys signable or unsignable doesn't matter. And so I had I had a couple guys who were like, this guy's really intriguing. He's just starting to scratch the surface of potential. I went back and looked, I think we ranked you like 170 anyway. But I was like. And this guy sounds super interesting, six foot six, you know, I think you were throwing maybe touching 94 in high school, 95.
2: That sounds about right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It just sounded really interesting, but the one of the, the, the crazy things, I think Jacob about the way things have unfolded for you is how long it took because so you go back before your senior year, you know, the showcase circuit is really important time for, you know, rising high school seniors and you had a hamstring injury, right? I think, and didn't get to yep. pitch a whole lot. So then you yeah. fast forward to your senior year. There is no senior year. I mean, you literally didn't exactly. play a game. And yeah. then you go to Crowder Junior College and you tear your meniscus in your first start in 2021. So like for three years, you were almost impossible to see. Yeah. Like, like what was that process like for you? I mean, it's crazy, but like you really didn't get to pitch much at all for, for two and a half years.
2: Yeah, no, it, it was hard. It was a hard time. And uh, I definitely wanted to pitch as much as I could, but. I think I understood that this was the process I had to get through to get to where I want to be. So it was one of those things that you kind of just put your head down and you kept going. You just kept working towards your goal, and that goal was pitching next year at Crowder. So it was just one of those things that, like, I just kept going.
1: So, you know, you get healthy again. Did, did you pitch – how long were you out with the meniscus injury? Did you pitch summer ball at all in 21, or did you just come back in the fall? I,
2: I threw a little bit. I didn't pitch any, any games or anything, just like got off the mound like in the summer.
1: Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. So so you come back in twenty in two thousand twenty two. What what were your realistic hopes going into the year? Because again, I mean you've pitched what was it, like one and two thirds innings at Crowder, like before your your meniscus yeah. gave out and you didn't pitch a yeah. twenty. So like what were your thoughts going into twenty twenty two of what was realistic where you might where you might be at the end of the season?
2: I mean to be honest, I was thinking more college than pro ball. It was uh, it was definitely one of those things that I didn't think I was at the level. I knew I was good enough to play pro ball, but I didn't think I was right at that moment. I didn't think I was going to go straight into pro ball. So it was one of those things that I kind of was hoping in that I had a good year so I could get picked up out of college and see what happens from there. But I ended up having a great year, and someone wanted to give me an opportunity in pro ball. So... Now i here. want to
1: talk about your your college what your college opportunity would have been because you committed to lsu yeah. and i was talking to one of the scouts who tipped me off about you we were it was a couple of weeks ago after i think you had your i don't know if it was five perfect innings but it might have been your last start in single A. you had a dominant outing yeah and we we're like man he's throwing great and the scout was like imagine if he was at lsu with paul schemes <laughs> like and i was crazy. like oh my god like like i cannot imagine like I can, I mean, it's already bad enough. You're playing LSU. Paul Skeen's going to be the first pitcher taken. He's going to probably go number two, the nationals, best pitching prospect in college baseball since, you know, probably Steven Strasburg, who was the best ever. And he's got unbelievable stuff. And I cannot imagine what it would be like if you're playing LSU in a weekend series and you're like, Oh my God, Paul Skeen's, that was ridiculous. And then you get the way you're thrown right now, Jacob Mizorowski on Saturday. How did, how did LSU get onto you? Um, when did you wind up committing to them? I mean, Jay Johnson does an unbelievable job there. They recruit great. But, like, oh, yeah. I mean, and they have – they had – it's crazy this year. You, I mean, do you still follow LSU? You follow-
2: yeah. Yeah, no, I've I've been following along with what they've been doing, and it's it's been crazy. They've uh, been good, and Skeens has been outstanding. So, no, it would have been awesome. But, yeah, no, it's it was a crazy process, and I didn't commit there till like, end of – Maybe beginning of like our college world series, which was not a couple months ago. So it was like it was. I don't know. It was it was crazy.
1: Yeah. But so it was during the season. You you hadn't committed to him before the season, or had you?
2: No, no, no. It was uh, it was like beginning middle of season.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I uh,
2: Committed. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. But like they do. Like I. I mean, they obviously have a great team. They're in Omaha, but they already. What's amazing to me is they had the best freshman recruiting class probably in the country, probably the best transfer recruiting class in the country, and they probably lost more talent to the draft than anybody in the country because they lost a bunch of guys, including yourself. Um, How heavily were you recruited? Did did you start to get a lot of offers once you started to pitch a crowd and and things were going well?
2: Yeah, I mean, I had a few other schools like uh, TCU, just to name one, but there was a few other ones that were out there trying to get me to go there. And so – no, I was definitely have hevi- 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 heavily recruited. And so no, it was it was fun. It was fun to see the different schools and do all that stuff, but yeah, no. It was it was crazy.
1: <laughs> when did your stuff make a jump? Because like I like like I knew, you know, in high school, guys were telling me, you know, it's really interesting. Yeah, he's 66, he's 67, he's he's still getting stronger. You're kind of learning to keep the delivery in sync. It's up to 95. You know, when I saw you live at the Combine, like I said, you were averaging 100, throwing, touching 101, and, and the slider was, was crazy, too. When did your stuff start to take off and, and make that jump?
2: Um, I think it really took off after the knee surgery. I think I had the knee surgery, rebuilt my, all, my legs from the start, and that was the main goal was to get those strong. So I think that really helped me a lot was just getting my legs actually under me and be able to stay supported throughout my delivery. And so I kind of ran with that. And Wally over at Crowder helped me a lot with staying through the ball. And there was a bunch of guys that, like, helped me a lot. So, no, I think I think it was just, like, getting my body under me and, like, not being long, lanky like I was in high school.
1: When did you first hear you were throwing 100?
2: It was probably right around when I committed to LSU. It was... Yeah, was. I mean, did did the team
1: know that, or did scouts tell tell coaches, or how, how do you find out?
2: So I didn't find out until like a week after because Lolly was keeping it from me because he didn't want <laughs> me to get too big of a head. So yeah, so Lolly heard of the, that from some scouts, and so I heard. I ended up hearing it from a teammate that Lolly told, and so it was it was a funny story. But yeah, no, it was middle of the year, and teammate told me that I hit a hundred.
1: How? hard has it been to harness your stuff like I know when you first came back last year you were battling the strikes a little bit to begin the season which again pretty understandable because you really hadn't pitched in two and a half years so exactly. um, and then at the end of the year it seemed like you were getting more dialed in and then after you signed the Brewers didn't have you pitch a whole lot but I think you walked something like seven in an inning and two thirds like in a brief outing or two but this year yeah. you've been throwing more strikes how how hard has it been to harness your stuff and and how comfortable do you feel with your control and command right now
2: um it's been it's been difficult to hone in everything and but the brewers have helped so much i mean with all the technology and stuff that they've offered me with like TrackMan, man i mean edutronics just different things like that and just like the coaches i mean that was the, another big thing was just like the guys like just being there to tell me what they're seeing and give me the feedback that I need to perform like I wanted to.
1: What, you know, in terms of your pitch mix, it's always interesting to me when guys break into pro ball, like, like yeah, as we've discussed, I mean, you have a really special fastball because I mean, besides the velocity, I mean, there the spin on it and your size, your 6'6", 6'7", you get really good extension. There's, I mean, all the metrics on top of the velocity, it's like a crazy, crazy fastball. And the slider is a really hard slider with a lot of life and a lot of movement. But you know, when you get into Pro Ball, sometimes teams want you to work on the secondary pitches because it's almost too easy to dominate with those. Like what, what is your pitch mix right now? Are they are the Brewers telling you, we know the fastball slider are really good, but we want you to maybe throw them a little bit less and work on other pitches? What what's kind of on your developmental list right now that the Brewers have given you?
2: So I wouldn't say that they're telling me to throw it less. <laughs> they're actually telling me to throw it more, but they're saying to throw in the other things, yes, too. So I'm throwing throwing a four seam fastball and the slider. And then I've had a curveball since high school. And it actually gets mixed up quite a bit by scouts saying that it's a slider. But I do have a curveball in there too. So that's been there too. And that's like the brewers have been really big on that, on me throwing that, and they've ranked it highly and all of our stuff. And so but I throw a change up in there too. That's been probably the biggest focus in the off season and coming into this year was getting the change up to where I want it to be. So it's getting so much better. And uh, yeah, I know it's getting, it's getting pretty close to being like game ready. So.
1: What, uh, what, what kind of action do you get in the changeup? Is it fade or is it tumble? I mean, what, how hard are you trying to throw it?
2: Um, So I'm actually throwing it about 95 right now, which (laughs) most guys would not consider a change up, but it's getting the life that i want and it's going more arm side and so that's been what i'm looking for was the like kind of fall and going arm side with it so it's it's been working pretty decently i and getting rollovers i mean nothing too crazy a few swing and misses but nothing nothing too crazy
1: and i mean you're having a lot of success right now i mean it's i don't think i've seen too many guys with a 56 strikeouts and 12 hits allowed too often in the minor <laughs> yeah. leagues. It's, go, it's going pretty good with you. I think there's, there's 15 walks and about 35 innings pitched. Uh, what has been the hardest part of, of adjusting to pro ball? Obviously, you're having a lot of success, but what's what's been the most difficult part of getting used to pro ball?
2: The hitters. The hitters <laughs> are so much better than junior college. I mean, I'm not saying anything against my junior college teammates. They're good, but these guys are just that much older and, like, they know where the strike zone is, and if you put it on the corner, they're going to just take it because they just think it's a 50-50 shot that it's a ball. And so that, that's probably been the craziest thing was fighting them and actually throwing in the zone now. And so I think that's been one of the things that's helped me the most was I actually realized that I got to do this to get these guys out. And so I've always just put in it where they have a shot to hit it and just tell them good luck.
1: Yeah, who who's been the best hitter you have faced so far? Does anybody in particular stand oh, out?
2: Um, God. my first week in Hiyae, we played Detroit, and there was Jace Jace Jung. Is that yeah, Jace Jung was your he, first round yeah, pick last year. Yeah, yeah, he's good. He's probably been one of the best. And then there was a uh, oh, there was a big bat from Canapolis that played Mississippi State. I can't think of his name. Hmm. Uh, i can't i can't think of him but yeah no that's probably he's been one of the yeah, better ones so. gotcha gotcha well i
1: i don't i'm not giving anything away because i don't honestly don't know but like it's possible we may see you facing some pretty good hitters in the futures game with the way this is going so i hope we <laughs> i hope we get yeah, to hope see you it. in seattle um but uh well i really appreciate this jacob like i said i have uh I have a lot of good scouts who, who kind of tip me off on players and <laughs> I've been fascinated by your career since I heard about you in 2020. And I was so excited to get to see you pitch at the combine last year and you didn't disappoint and looking forward <laughs> to seeing you on a, on the mound again soon. But I, you know, it's just, it's, it's been fun kind of watching how your career's taken off. Once you finally, you know, we got past the pandemic and you got healthy. Um, it, it's really been a lot of fun. So keep up the good work. Yeah.
2: Thank you. Thank you so okay.
1: much. Thanks a lot. That's uh, Jacob Mizorowski, the Brewers. And we'll be back with more on the Pipeline Podcast.
0: back to the MLB Pipeline podcast. Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis, coming to you from Phoenix, Arizona, home of the MLB Draft Combine. Just heard from Jacob Mizarowski. Thanks very much for uh, joining us. And Jim, he's just one of several success stories from the Combine. Um, going back to the first one, and it, it's kind of funny to look back now. Uh, this was just two years ago. And a guy who was maybe the biggest success story of that first combine, uh, we've seen him, in, seen him in the big leagues now.
1: Yeah, it was Mason Miller. You know, and again, I mean, he was on scouts radar, but you know, he pitched to Gardner-Webb, which is in a you know powerhouse or a power conference program. And he was the most impressive pitcher of the guys who threw uh, the first year. And, I mean, injuries contributed to a little bit, but he pitched less than 30 innings in the minors before he got to the big leagues with Oakland. Um, he's won. And it's funny, at the time – I guess didn't really think about it as much and he wound up being kind of unsignable, but Tommy White, the first combine was a bat over athleticism high school guy. And those guys almost always wind up going to college because you want to see that the bat plays at a higher level since you're betting solely on the bat. But at the first combine, like every time they measured exit velocities, Tommy White had by far the best exit velocities among any of the high school players. And he had the highest – there were only two – I think it was Alex Benelis and Denzel Clark the only college guys who did more than him. And, and so Tommy White, you know, didn't sign, goes to NCC as a freshman, hits 27 homers, um, Tommy Tanks, and he transfers to LSU. And he's playing in the College World Series right now. He's hit 22 more this year. And my guess is he'll probably be back at the Combine. You know, next year it'll be interesting because well, I don't know if well, – I, mean, I guess it's possible we could have had junior, senior. We may have had a repeat combine guy. I don't know if MLB's tracked that. I don't know what the answer to that is. But we could, probably have Tommy White back at the combine next year as one of the top power hitters in the draft. And then, you know, even last year, you know, Connor Prelip was a guy who was coming off Tommy John surgery, didn't pitch during the year at Alabama, pitched one bullpen workout for the SEC tournament, and it was raining. And, it, I mean, nobody held it against him, but he wasn't in peak form. And he came out and he threw well at the combine, I mean, just for five minutes. But, you know, in the bullpen session, showed everybody, hey, the slider, which was his trademark pitch, was all the way back. And he wound up signing for, I want to say, $1.85 million um, with the Twins. or mean, it was $1.825 million with the Twins in the second round. So there's been a number of, of players who have done well.
0: All right. So let's look ahead now. I know you did a story where you – uh, put together ten names to watch at at this year's combine for various reasons, and this is just
1: on field guys. Yeah, yeah
0: just guys participating on field. Uh, now we're not going to go in depth on all ten of these, but just to rattle them off quickly: Kemp Alderman, outfielder from Mississippi, who's number sixty-two on the top two hundred prospects list; Homer Bush Jr., Grand Canyon outfielder, who's number ninety-four; Grant Gray, outfielder from Norco High School in California, number one twenty-nine; George Classen. Right-hander from Minnesota. One- Who I ran into in the elevator when I checked into <laughs> the hotel. So. Did you tell him that uh, you put him on this list? I told him I was looking forward to <clears> him <throat> throwing. Elevator pitch. I didn't, want to, I didn't want to put too much pressure
1: on I just said I was looking forward to seeing him throw. So. Uh,
0: Hunter Owen, lefty from Vanderbilt, number 64 on the top 200 prospects list. Ty Pete, uh, Trinity Christian High School in Sharpsburg, Georgia is number 53. Deuce Robinson, uh, outfielder from Pinnacle High School here. in Phoenix is not ranked. And then Sammy Stafura, a shortstop uh, from New York, number 86. George Wolko of Downers Grove in Illinois, number 68. And Nazan Zanatello from CBC High School in St. Louis is number 52. So, Jim, let's let's focus on a few of these guys. I know you're, you're obviously uh, excited to see all of them, but uh, let's pick out a few here.
1: Yeah, well, the guy who... You know, again, it, it's it's a small sample size, but a guy who I think this week is maybe more important than most, or than most of the guys here is Hunter Owen of Vanderbilt. He would kind of established himself as the best lefty, best college lefty in the draft, and he, you know, he missed he had missed some time last year with kind of unspecified what exactly it was. I think he missed five weeks last year. This was his first season as a starter, and then he, he missed missed for the last eight weeks of the season. Um, now, he's going to throw a bullpen on Wednesday. He's going to do a medical exam. And I think if he, you know, throws well, you know, again, it's for five minutes. But if he, if he looks like he's got, you know, his mid-90s fastball, mid-90s slider, and the medical checks out, he might be the first college lefty taken still. So I think he's got – you know, it's weird. Like a lot of these college guys especially who you scouted for, you know, 14 weeks during the regular season, the conference tournament and playoffs – like don't necessarily have a lot to prove here, which is why a lot of the top, top guys, you know, aren't going to take the field, but Hunter Owen does have something to prove, you know, probably more than most guys who, you know, were in a power conference on, on a quality team. So he, he's one, I think a guy, you know, the a guy who has probably been seen less than almost anybody here is Deuce Robinson, you know, the local guy from Phoenix who he's better known for his football exploits. He's the top tight end recruit in the country's five-star athlete. Um, committed to Southern Cal, and he never – Pinnacle High School is his local high school. He never played for them in four years. He, he went to the area code games last year, um, showed off some impressive power. He's 6'6", 225. He, he moves really well for a guy that big. Um, but he just hasn't been seen the baseball setting that much. Um, you're not going to get him to give up football. Um, he, he's going to be playing tight end at Southern Cal – but I think he he's open to one of these two-sport deals where he's a professional baseball player and a college football player. And, you know, somebody might say, if you're listening to this, like, well, you know, if he's going to go play football, why would you pay him to play baseball? What you're doing is you're locking up his rights, you know, you know if, you, if you can. You know, and then if down the road he wants to be a full-time baseball player, like, he doesn't re-enter the draft. You have him. And, and like, there would be I, – I, I mean, I don't know, you know, how he fits into various teams' bonus pools, but I bet – there'll be teams interested in doing something like that. Um, You know, like Jake Locker who wound up not being a very good NFL quarterback and never really did much baseball wise, the angels did that with him and teams would have loved to do that with Kyler Murray coming out of high school, but he pulled out of the draft. Um, So, so he's interesting. I I, and He's just a guy who, you know, in this setting, like workout setting, I'm sure he's going to hit the ball very hard and very far. And wow. Everybody with his combination of strength and speed. So he's, He's super interesting, and then uh, the aforementioned uh, George Claussen, who I met on the elevator, he's fascinating. You know, he, you know, hasn't had a whole lot of success in Minnesota. He had Tommy John surgery in two thousand twenty-one, and he's never really thrown consistent strikes. But I think you can like build the narrative that he hasn't pitched a whole lot either, and that he needs more experience, and his better days are ahead. And he he has he has to have the quickest arm in the draft. His arm's like a blur. It's the fastest arm in the draft. And he averages 98 miles an hour, and he's touched 102. So, f- f- you know, for you know, again, I mean, that's what we're looking for in the bullpen sessions. I mean, there's more to pitching than velocity, but we're going to all sit there and ooh and ah over whoever hits triple digits. Um, and so I think he has a chance to throw the hardest, and I didn't even cite him in the article, but Sam Knowlton, who's a guy who's had injury issues at South Alabama who I also met in an elevator is also <laughs> capable of throwing 100 miles an hour. So we'll see. We'll see who else uh, out here can light up the radar
0: gun that I'm going to run into in the in the elevator. you are on, only letting people who could throw 100 miles an hour on, on that elevator.
1: Yeah, well, it's funny because because uh, as an aside, so I'm te- as you know, well, I guess I'll reveal my your, I, your with, 20 with, face recognition. Yeah, I'm like terrible at like recognizing faces, and obviously I haven't met most of these players before, but it's terrible with like scouts and baseball officials, events like this, like try to superficially gl- glance at the name tag. I'm just awful with faces. Anyway, um, with, the co- with the guys at the Combine, the college guys are all wearing like college t-shirts. So it's like George Claussen had a Gophers backpack. So I was like, are you George Like, So I, I recognized him. And so same thing with Sam Moulton I was wearing a South Alabama. And I was like, are you Sam Nolten? I knew he was big and tall. So there's a guy wearing a, a Middle Tennessee State, Sure. And there's two interesting pitchers who are both probably going to make our top 250 when we expand. And I should know their heights off the top of my head, but I don't. And so maybe one guy's bigger than the other. But it's Eric Swan who throws really, really hard. And Jan Ham doesn't throw as hard, but has much more control and has a really good curveball. And so I was like, are you Eric, Eric Swan? And he's like, no, Jan Ham." And I was like, ah, like a 50-50. <laughs> has, yeah, because I think – I'm pretty sure Eric Swan's here too. Um, <laughs> so anyway, um, I, 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 could, I was cheating and recognizing players by – by what, uh, by, what T-shirts they were wearing? Yeah.
0: Backpacks. All right. Well, the the draft combine is going on uh, all week this week, and we've got three hour blocks on MLB Network on Tuesday and Wednesday. So, depending on when you're hearing this podcast, you have a chance to catch some of that action on uh, on the network. And of course, we'll be covering it uh, all week on MLB.com/slash Pipeline. So, keep an eye out there. All right. College World Series. Uh, we're a couple days in. Uh, it's been great. I mean, we were we were looking forward to this just based on all of the top tier uh, draft prospects that are involved. A lot of really good programs involved. Uh, I mean, Jim, you, you said something before we came on air here about this being perhaps the most talent laden College World Series ever. Yeah, just in terms of,
1: you know, I I I think we counted there's 11 potential first-round picks. Like, I think there's 10 guys. Like, see so if I can rattle these off off the top of my head. And, again, I know we have the four top college pitchers are all there. It's Paul Skeens of LSU. It's it's um, Chase Dolan of Tennessee. It's Brett Louder of Lake Forest. It's Tristan Walder of Florida. The best catcher in the draft, Kyle Teal, is there. Two of the – like, we keep projecting two of the top three players on our prospect list. We keep projecting them as two of the top three picks. LSU outfielder Dylan Cruz, who we have at number one, and Florida outfielder um, White Lankford, who we have at number three. Then you have Tommy Troy at Stanford, who's kind of on the rise. Uh, Brayne Taylor TCU, who's on the rise. I feel like a, a Brock like Wilco at Wake Forest. And then Jake Geloff, also Virginia, could sneak into the first round also. So I think that's 11. Um, and then it was funny. I was listening to the um, Tennessee-Stanford game today, and Kyle Peterson does an excellent job for ESPN. And, again, it makes me feel, I remember covering Kyle Peterson in the <laughs> College World Series. And it was a huge deal when he pitched for Stanford because he's from Omaha. So, like, that was, like, like major stuff going on at the time. Um, you know, obviously pitched in big leagues. But he and I hadn't thought about it. And I was like, I'm not even going to try to rattle these off. But Kyle, if you start talking about guys who could go in the first round of the next two drafts, like the current freshmen and sophomores, it Could be 20 plus first rounders. Um, so like the quantity is crazy, but then also the fact that we have Cruz is one, Skeens is two, Langford's three, I think Teal's seven or so on our list. Red Louder's in the top 10, you know, Waldrop's you know, like it just that we have the very best prospects are there as well. It is pretty amazing and. As we record this, they've played eight games, and I think what we we're saying there have been six one-run games, one two-run game, and one three-run game. Like, like all the games have been close.
0: Uh, so it, it's been, been been a lot of fun action to watch. All right. Well, I mean, the, the one guy that you know I want to talk about is Paul Skeens. But before we get to him, um, we'll use a different segue here. You you mentioned Kyle Peterson talking about. If you also take into account the freshmen and sophomores, maybe seeing potentially twenty first round or future first rounders, the guy who came into the season uh, as one of the you know highest ranked players in next year's draft, uh, Chase Burns, Tennessee um, had a rough year. Got I don't, you say demoted to the bullpen? Is it was weird. It's more like they
1: recalibrated everything. Like they got off to. It, it's weird, you know, we talked about the fact Tennessee had the best team in the country last year by far. Led the nation in ERA, led the nation in home runs, and I've lost track of how many guys they had drafted. They had all underclass pitching staff with Dolner and Chase Burns and Drew Beam. And they got off to a terrible. So they were five and ten in SEC play before they won. And then, you know, Chase Dolner's been inconsistent. Chase Burns was inconsistent. So I don't think it was so much that they were purely demoting him as they needed somebody reliable to finish games. Like, that That was struggling. So they took Andrew Lindsey and put him in the Friday starter spot, put Chase Dolan in the Saturday starter spot, and Chase Burns became kind of like I, I, I what I call a – like again, I'll date myself here. When I was covering college baseball in the 90s with Darren Dreyford, which does state, was, like, very capable of being a starter. He wound up being the number two pick in the draft. But they used him as a reliever, and I called him a troubleshooter because, especially in the postseason, like, if we're in a jam in the third inning, we're going to Darren Dreiford. He's going to pitch six. Or we can use Darren Dreiford to get you three outs in the ninth. You know, like, it was just whatever we need. He's a troubleshooter. He's going to come solve the problem. And that's kind of what they did with Chase Burns. And I think it's where you're going today. Dolander gave up four runs in three innings. And, you know, they just – they were down 4 nothing, And, obviously, they couldn't afford to fall much further behind. And they went to Chase Burns to pitch six shutout innings. And I lost – I, I – can't remember how many guys he struck out. I know he tied Todd Helton's Tennessee school record for strikeouts in the College World Series game, which I'm sure was at that game in 1995. <laughs> but I've, I don't remember how many it was, and he was throwing 100 miles an hour and throwing some change-ups, and he's got a pretty nasty slider too. Um, I would assume he'd be back in the rotation next year. But, yeah, it's, he, even though he didn't have a great year, I still think he's one of the top pitchers in next year's draft.
0: Yeah, I think I, I think I saw that it's the first time a relief pitcher has thrown six shutout innings in the College World Series since 1997 or something like that. Really? Yeah, yeah.
1: I know there was a guy uh, – I can't think of his name now. He's in the royal system. It's a lefty. He struck out like 13 or 14 for Oregon State in relief um, a couple of years ago. But, yeah, I don't know if it's six shutout. I, I would have been there in 97 covering that whole World Series. I don't know if that would have been that. So,
0: so – Uh, from one of the top pitching prospects in next year's draft class to the top pitching prospect in this year's draft class, Paul Skeens. Uh, So so Jim, he threw 46 pitches of 100 miles an hour or more in this College World Series start. And yet that is not the pitch that that impressed you the most.
1: Yeah, well, it's crazy because so, all year, I mean, Skeen's, I mean, he's done that all year with the fastball. Like, it's just, it, it, what's funny too is he struck out 12. He gave up two runs in seven and two thirds innings against Tennessee. And, like, if you're lining up his outings, that's probably in the bottom half of his outings of this year. Like, because he, I mean, he's had several games where he gave right. one or zero okay. runs. And he's had several games where he struck out because for a while he was on pace to break the strikeout per nine record. He was averaging 17 strikeouts per nine. So it's like the pure results of this. Like ah, like that's lackluster. I, I was like was hitting out grades last week. Was that what I was doing? It's yeah, like, yeah, it's yeah. like maybe we'll give him a little extra credit to college series, but it's like a C plus B minus start, like statistically for Paul Skeens. But so anyway, he's been doing this all year. His fastball's been ridiculous, and then his slider has been a well above average pitch that's just dominated people. But what was crazy is like so the changeup he's had he has a changeup and it has its moments, but he doesn't always throw it for strikes. And the fastball and slider been so good that there's just been no reason to throw the changeup. Well, he was having trouble locating the slider a little bit um, against Tennessee, and so he he wanted going the changeup, and it was really moving well. It was fading and sinking. He threw it twenty times. He got seven swings and misses, um, and like it, and that's on thirteen swings. So like like they when they swung at it, they missed it more than half the time, and it was dancing all over the place, and it was just like. This is ridiculously unfair. And you would have liked it. I don't you were probably in flight. But they were talking about the fact like how do the pirates not take this guy at one? Like and I, I as you know, I don't remember if we talked did we talk about this on the podcast? When we did the draft two hundred, you know, we I, we had people kind of making that argument. And I and I do kind of buy like I would take Paul Skins number one because I think it's harder to find a Paul Skins is to find a Dylan Cruz or a White Langford, a Max Clark or Walker Jenkins because there's four of those guys in (laughs) this year's draft. And, like, the last guy, like Paul Skeens, you have to go back, really, to to Strasburg in 2009. And I know pitchers get hurt, and I know I say all the time, guys who throw hard, I worry about their ability to hold up, and he throws really, really hard. But I still, you know, even though Strasburg isn't going to be in the Hall of Fame when he was healthy, he was really, really good. National's won a World Series with him, went to playoffs several times with him. I, I would take Paul Skeens one-one. I, I just, it's he's ridiculous. Like, and, and I mean, the, I mean, this is just. I mean, they're not going to do anything with this. But like, I do think the guy would be a top three rounds pick if they just said you're going to be a catcher first baseman. He'd, yeah. he'd go in the top three rounds. Like, he was the best two-way player in the country last year at Air Force. Like, the guys just ridiculous. And like, I mean. I think we all enjoyed talking to him. We had him on the podcast right at the start of the college season, and they interviewed him. They they had the headset on him and talked to him for half inning today, and um, still sounds like kind of the same humble guy. Like he's got a must—he's had the mustache, which he didn't have. <laughs> which you're the... dinging him for? Yeah, I don't know if it, it, it's not the greatest mustache. <laughs> um, it, it's it's okay, but it's not it's not it's not a strong. C-plus. We'll go C plus on the mustache as well, but. um, yeah, I'll be curious to see. Like, in real quick draft talk. Nobody knows what the Pirates are going to do right now. It's still too early. The Pirates may make his way to last second for anybody to know for sure. But, you know, I, I would t- – Pirates have a lot of position prospects too. I would take Paul Skeen's – Paul Skeen's be in rotation next year. And that division seems very winnable. Like, the Pirates have – like, we're seeing the Reds, I think, have taken first place now with another win tonight. Joey Votto homered and drove in the yeah. go-ahead runs. Um, and the Reds had all this young talent they infused, and nobody wants to win that division or run away with it. And all of a sudden the Reds are like, why couldn't that be the Pirates next year? Especially if, hey, Paul Skeens is in our rotation. Like whoever drafts Paul Skeens isn't going to pitch him this year, let him make a few starts and then he's up in your rotation. Do the Strasburg thing. Wasn't Strasburg in the big leagues by June or so? Do that with Paul Skeens. So I would – nothing against Dylan Cruz or any of the outfielders. I would take Paul Skeens number one.
0: All right. Well, this leads nicely into our mailbag question that comes from Sevento17 on Twitter, who asks which offensive draft prospect outside of the top five has the highest ceiling. So, you know, Sevento here is is catching on to the fact that every time we talk about the top of the, this draft class, it's the top five guys. Yeah, and you just mentioned the top five guys, and there there is a very distinct separation between the top five. And the rest of the class. And so, a good question here which offensive prospect has the highest ceiling outside of these top five guys?
1: Yeah, it's, it's funny. So, I mean, we're all doing like 18 different things around. So, like, well, we we're just starting the podcast. So like, oh, I better come up with an answer because I'm like a <laughs> tired and not thinking as quick on my feet. And, but then when I was looking at the list, it like took me about five seconds. I was like, oh, I know who it is. To me, it's Aiden Miller, who we were talking about. Well, I guess not maybe it was the combine last year. We are talking about the all-star game because he won the, he won the high school home run derby. He and the MVP, right? He was the MVP of the high school all America game. Um, he was the best hitter on the showcase. So he's a better hitter. I mean, Walker Jenkins was hurt, but he outhit Max Clark in the showcase. He was the best hitter. He's not as, as athletic as Max Clark, but I mean, he can hit for average for power. He's done it against good competition. He's handled quality velocity and, this is one of these things that drives me a little crazy with the draft. So, like, he's probably – we have him ranked number 12th right now. He's probably not going to go that high because he broke his handmate this year and he hasn't played. And, like, okay, I get that. But, like, we're not talking about, like, his arm fell off or he tore up a knee and he can't run. Like, people heal from the handmate. And he wasn't going to face better competition in high school this spring than he saw on the showcase shirt. We know he can hit like, like, him not coming out and being able to play and do stuff this year, we know Aiden Miller can hit. I didn't need to see more this spring No, he can hit, and he can hit good pitching. But I, I think between that and I'm not going to get started because I could talk for half an hour on the whole age thing, but he turned 19 10 days ago, Whoa. so, like, he's old. So, heaven forbid, you know, Aiden Miller, he's an old man, like – yeah. Old man Brett, Brett, Beatty. Brett Beatty. Old yeah. man Brett Beatty, when he got in Pro Ball, was like like young for his level, every level he played at and got to the big leagues quickly despite losing a year to the pandemic. But yeah, I so anyway, I think it's Aiden Miller. I think Aiden Miller's got a chance to be a a plus hitter for average, a plus hitter for power. Um and I think somebody's gonna get him uh, he could go in the top ten or twelve picks, but I think he's gonna go somewhere in that like I don't know, fifteen to twenty range. And he wasn't hurt, but, like, Corey Seager went in the same range. And then a couple years down the road, it's like, how'd this guy last 18 picks in the draft? And I think it's going to be the same thing with Aiden Miller, where people are going to wonder why he lasted so long. And it's going to be because some teams are going to back away because of the age, and some teams are going to be like, well, we just didn't get to see him play this spring to reiterate what we saw before. But I I think it's Aiden Miller.
0: How about you? Do you have a particular high-ceiling hitter? I I do like Aiden Miller, and I I actually – I remember – (laughs) <laughs> I remember last year at the high school all American game, watching him and watch, you know, and you said he, he won the home run derby and won the MVP of the game. I remember watching him in, in BP before the game and thinking, wow, this guy, even among all these really great up and coming high school prospects stands out. And then I, I felt validated when I heard Reggie Smith, former Dodgers all-star who was one of the coaches, like, oohing and eyeing and, like, whispering to other coaches, like, you know, this guy, this swing is – this swing's going to play. Um, but, yeah, he was he was very impressive last year. All right, thanks for that question. Uh, thanks to 7toe at 7toe17. And, of course, thanks to Jacob Mizorowski for joining us on the show today. That's going to do it for this week's episode of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week.